The Holy Gospel of Luke, according to the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the, his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias' his brother's wife and all other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, heaven opened, was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love with, you, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our uh, sermon this morning comes from our epistle reading, uh, Romans chapter 6. And Some of you that know me very well are probably chuckling yourself and saying, of course our sermon is going to come from Romans. Um, <clears throat> and I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened this morning, that you would know the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God that God has for you in his beloved son, Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning, to open up my sermon, well, I'll need a little participation from the congregation in some well-known ancient proverbs and cliches. So I'll start and you finish. Are you ready? A bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush. That's right. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's right. The squeaky wheel Gets the grease. You're doing very good. Rome wasn't built in a day. And when in Rome, do as the Romans. Well, if you were in my class, you would get an A plus in ancient Proverbs. As Paul wrote to the Romans, he anticipates what his hearers might be thinking. And in order to understand why Paul asks this very question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. 
So the question this morning then is, why did Paul anticipate this question? Well, to answer this, we quite simply need to look at Paul's argument from earlier in his letter. You see, Paul started out with, in his letter, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just man shall live by faith. And as we will see in a moment, the righteous requirements of the law, which requires us to live by perfection, are not obtained to us, are not obtained by us, by our works, but through the gift of faith in Jesus, the one who fulfilled the law perfectly in our stead. And why, why was Paul so adamant that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation? Well, he's very extremely forthright in his answer. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, Paul announced that both Jew and Gentile, you and I, in our outward immorality and in our inward sin, are condemned by our own ungodliness and unrighteousness. And therefore... Paul goes on to say, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God, there is no one good, not even one. See, even though God's law was to be fulfilled to perfection by us, God knew of a better way. As Paul went on to record, he said, now, whatever, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Therefore, no one will be saved by the works of the law, and no one will be able to stand before God in their own righteousness. If one is not baptized by the Holy Spirit, the unbeliever and the self-righteous will be judged. Final judgment will be upon them as Luke said in our text this morning, speaking of Jesus' winnowing fork that is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. 
but the chaff will be burned up with unquenchable fire. Returning to Paul's argument leading up to our text this morning, he demonstrates that it's through the gift of faith in what Jesus did on the cross by dying and rising again that you will be saved. He says, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. And isn't Paul the one who recorded that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, taking the wrath of God upon himself for you, he justified you. He clothed you with his robe of righteousness. You have been declared righteous through the gift of faith in what Jesus did here on the cross. He has redeemed you by his blood. He purchased your sin here at the cross at Calvary through his blood. And so Paul then anticipates from his hearers that what's next? What's next? You've now been declared righteous. You are now free in Christ. So he anticipates this question of, well, I'm free. You mean I don't have to do anything? No. Jesus did it all for you on the cross. And so he anticipates his hearers, and he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? In other words, what Paul is expecting is that somebody is going to say, well, God likes to give out grace. I like to sin. This is a great fire insurance. I can just go ahead living however I want. Great fire insurance policy, isn't it? But it seems that those who think like this have never really pondered the cost. Listen to the words from the hymnist 
of Thomas Kelly. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt, guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. And of course, Paul's answer to cheap grace is, may it never be. May it never be. He says, as Jesus said, a good tree bears good fruit. He says, how can you go on sinning when right here in your baptismal font, in your baptism, that you've been crucified with Christ? You've already died the first death. And the second death, you won't experience because you've already died. There's no judgment for you. Your sins are at the bottom of this bowl. And you've been raised, it says, according to our text this morning. You've been raised. You've been resurrected. You've been made a new creation in him. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So how can you, as a new creation, continue to live in sin and to think that, oh, well, God likes to give grace. I like to sin. That's a great deal. No, he says, you have died. You've been made a new creation in him. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. He concluded in our text this morning, he says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, though, but pastor, my, my life just, I feel so burdened. Even on my confessed, my unconfessed sins, in my life, I'm going through so much, I, I just, I can't even explain. Well, that's why Paul goes on later on after our readings of the struggles in the Christian life. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this bondage of death? And Paul says, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. This verse bears repeating. Let me read that one more time. On the one hand, 
I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. But also tying into our text this morning, Paul says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, because Jesus is the one here who took the penalty in your place. And that's why Paul can go on to say, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, in our gospel reading, Jesus came to John to be baptized. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He was perfect in all that he did, in all that he thought, in all the, that he acted. He was perfect, holy, sinless. And what is baptism? Baptism is for sinners to be washed and regenerated in holy baptism. Jesus did not need to be baptized. He did so that the Old Testament prophecy would be fulfilled. That John would be the heralder to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in another way, Jesus sanctifies the water. So that this water attached to the promises of God, the promises of God that he has crucified you here and he's raised you to newness of life is for you. Jesus did it for you. And in our Old Testament reading this morning, Isaiah says that God will gather all the tribes from all of the lands, from the north and the south and the east and the west. Here this morning at the altar, those universal believers, along with you and I, from the north, south, east, and west, will commune with our Lord this morning in bread and wine to remind us of the forgiveness that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And someday, the 12 tribes from the north, south, east, and west will be gathered together 
with us Gentiles from the north, south, east, and west. And we, together for all eternity, will partake in the feast that Jesus said that he would wait to feast with us in heaven. Now, I opened my sermon with some ancient proverbs. I'll need your help again to finish my sermon, but this time it's going to be from Scripture. And I have revelation in mind. Ready? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In his name, amen.